That's what I'm saying. The text is like an object. It's gonna change perspective based on where you're standing. I don't know. Hello? Can you hear me? Can you hear me? I missed you, baby sweet. It was a day. Hmm. It was a day. Please tell me you're seeing this too. From Seattle, we are drinking the movies. I'm Taylor Baker. And I'm Michael Clausen. That tastes like Halloween. It sure does. That is a crisp Oktoberfest from Hellbent Brewing Company. It's a Mertzen. Very good. Tasty. Fitting for a... Little a little oaky. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Fitting for a Halloween episode of Drink in the Movies. <laughs> Spooky stuff, but with some comedy involved, no doubt. Indeed. More camp than I had initially anticipated. This is not is the scariest of Halloween episodes. Until the end. Fair enough. Until the end, sir. Shall I tell the folks what we have lined up for today? Sounds like a good idea. All right. We're going to start with the 2009 film Jennifer's Body, directed by Karen Kasama, written by Diablo Cody. Then we're going to get on to One Cut of the Dead, a 2019 film, zombie horror comedy, from directed by Shinichiro Ueda. And finally, what's our last title? We are going to be getting to one of the the greatest vampire films of all time. Nosferatu the Vampire, I believe from the year 1979, from the director Werner Herzog, starring Bruno Ganz and Klaus Kinski. Without further ado, should we get to those first impressions? Let's take a look. Is any of this uh, getting your creative juices flowing, you All know? Right, give it a rest. This could be the scene of a massacre. Final yes. issue, starting to fucking get into your head now? No. It's my um, fucking it's, job, man. It's coming, all right? That's the whole point of me designing, you know, the fucking road trip, all right? It's just like tingle, stimulate some inspiration. Final issue inspiration is the objective. Right or, now. conversely, it doesn't have to be the last issue, but... It's all right, we just watched the trailer for Random Acts of Violence. Thoughts? Starring, directed by Jay Baruchel, correct? Maybe even written or adapted by? Um... Really strong dialogue, great chemistry. Very brief little snippet we saw there. Less than a minute and a half, I want to say. But it's straight scene. Um, doesn't get into the horse slasher that it speaks of. But I, you, you can feel the undercurrent of those comic books creating that about to happen. So it's fun. It, sa- it sounds fun. Feels fun. I want to watch it. Yeah, I think I had mostly positive vibes from it. Um, you're right. I think there's some simmering tension there. I kind of like that shot, uh, that looks like it's from the surveillance camera or something like that from Mm -hmm. the upper corner of the room. I think it's nicely shot, uh, scene. Um, uh, just curious to know more. How did this one pop up on your radar? Uh, stumbled across it. Just looking for anything related to Halloween because apparently nothing exists related to Halloween that we haven't already covered. Yeah, there is not uh, a lot to choose from new release-wise coming into Halloween. No. On to something a little bit more uh, noteworthy. Riley Cow's The Lodge. That's our mom's hat. Oh, I'm sorry. You okay? I don't want to leave you here with the kids if you're not 
feeling up to it? Uh, I'm feeling fine. It was my idea, and it's a couple days. I can do a couple days. Okay, guys, I'm off. Have fun. What is that? That's crazy. Everyone committed suicide except for her. All right, Michael. That's the much-acclaimed horror film, The Lodge, from Neon. What do you think? I remain very excited for The Lodge. I've been anticipating it for quite some time. I think it played at Sundance in January. Now it's pushed all the way to February of next year. Um, I really liked Goodnight Mommy, uh, the last film from these two directors. Um, uh, I, I have uh, high expectations. What about you? I share those high expectations and am quite, quite excited for this film. Riley has a very off-putting physical appearance unless she turns it off. Mm. She she is just passively when you look at her it, it might be like me projecting because of her roles, mm. not someone I trust mm. as a character to tell me the truth. And that's definitely bleeding through in this trailer where mm. I'm more certain that she is the one responsible for the bad things happening and she can't remember mm. um, than that it's any sort of an entity or anything like that, if that makes sense. Just between um, that movie last year, gosh, with Skarsgård. Oh, um, gosh, the Netflix one. Yeah. We talked about it on the show. Very long title. Jeremy Saulnier. Yep. Um just I know what you're talking about. It. Yeah. Okay. yeah. Uh, that, the girlfriend experience, which she also plays, she gets a little bit like psychological distortive. Um, mm-hmm. I just, I'm digging what I'm, what I'm seeing. And the craftsmanship of the film looks great. Great location. Yeah. 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 For me, they're, they're, I, mean, I think she's gorgeous. I, I, there's always something a little kind of like cold about her to me. Yes. Um, like in um, American Honey, um, you know, it's maybe just an aloofness or something. Mm-hmm. Right, um, but it feels like she puts that on. Yeah. It yeah. felt like she put that on um, even for the Andrew Garfield film. Yes, which one? The... It's evading We're struggling. me. struggling. It's... I watched it last year, and you watched it this year in theaters, I want to say. Um, gosh. Andrew Garfield, Riley Cow. Uh, Grace Van Patten's in it. Under the Silver Lake. Yes. She kind of puts on the aloofness and Under the Silver Lake and is also playing that, like, you can't really tell who she is character, mm-hmm. which is just so, so good. Um, yeah. It's not that I'm saying that she's bad or anything. It's just, like, she's one of those actresses that you... She, she gets to play with you a little bit more because you already almost don't trust her. Mm. At some level, so I I really relish my experiences with her. Hold the dark. That was Hold the, the, dark. the name that is. was eluding us. Um, yeah, I mean, I'm intrigued by her being cast here as the stepmom, right? I mean, you maybe sense that there's perhaps a sense of inadequacy or insecurity about you know uh, fulfilling that role of a mom to these kids, yes. and what and that seems like sort of the maybe the emotional kind of foundation of it. Um, so that uh, seems like it could be right up uh, her alley. And it also sounds like that's 
something they've messed with before in that film you referenced, Goodnight Mommy? Um, so this might be a motif for them, the ideas of motherhood and horror? Motherhood, uh, the mother was certainly a key figure, no doubt. Okay. Um, and it is certainly worth catching up with uh, in advance, I think. Did it? Uh, I don't know if we'll do it, but I'll try. Yeah. We've yeah. got the end of the decade list and the 2019 list, so. It'd be early next year. We can try. Anywho, on to Jennifer's body. All right. You're killing people. No, I'm killing boys. Are you scared? Thought you only murdered boys. I go both ways. I will finish you if I have to. You can barely finish gym class. Jennifer's Body. Obviously written by Diablo Cody. How do you tell a Diablo Cody film when there are two different girls who are expressing both aspects of reality or life in a story? That is how you know it is a Diablo Cody film. Whether it is Young Adult or Tully from earlier this year. It's not exactly subtle. It is. That is not but her. But it's, it's good forte yeah i don't think it's meant to be subtle to a large extent totally maybe so there is uh, a bit more of a twist there whereas here it's right out in front of you kind of uh the writing style indeed yes uh so this one came out 10 years ago definitely seems to have earned a bit of a cult reputation Mm -hmm. cult status do you think it makes sense do you think it deserves the reputation it's garnered I do, and for very specific reasons. I th- When I think about this, like, hot girl high school slasher type of a film, um, it's a very specific thing that I think of, something that I think that we will talk about in One Cut of the Dead, some of those camera angles. Mm-hmm. Whereas in this Karen Kusama film, um, it's very obvious when she's choosing to to do what we call now the the male gaze, mm. and that she's she is it, it just so clearly speaks to a female perspective of mm. this classic genre of the horror story, mm. and I think that that's why it has its reputation because it's one of the the few films I can think of where like it actually explores the psychology of like being a girl in this setting um, and letting a girl be the slasher instead of letting a boy be the slasher um, and then letting the girl be the one who's driven insane and becomes murderous and like um, not just Megan Fox's character but Amanda Seyfried herself Mm -hmm. Um, we see girls without makeup we see girls ugly crying we see um, it focused on how the girl is experiencing sex and uh, not even thinking about it. It is just solely clear, so clearly feminine um, that I think that, that that unique voice, which sadly is a unique voice in this genre, is really what does it. And then the star power, the staying power of Megan Fox and Amanda Seyfried cement it. Yes, I would completely agree. It's the clarity of the voice being female that is uh, part of the distinctiveness um and that cult reputation definitely seems to have to do with like some of the world building and like the quotability of it like it's so one-liner heavy you can imagine people rattling these lines off to each other um those eccentric kind of details of the world like a high school teacher who's sentimental but has a hook for a hand um a waterfall that 
swallow things up to never be found again. Uh, you kind of immediately get this sense that this is, you know, recognizably like our reality, but it's not quite our reality. Yeah. And there's something about just that offbeat world building that I think really fits into the kind of idea of a cult film. Yeah. Um, I know in your review, you, uh, Mentioned Megan Fox in relation to Winona Ryder, mm-hmm. um, which is funny because the movie that kind of came to mind when I was watching this, even though it's not horror, Heathers. was Heather's. Yeah, yeah for sure. Um, another one that's, you know, just the high school satirical cultish kind of uh, movie. Murderous. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. 100%. Um, but uh, all that said, I would say I'm still largely kind of mixed on it. I think I get it. I get the... Um, appeal and it is appealing um i don't know that i found the psychology it really investigated to be that interesting to me um absolutely agree yeah, yeah. no i don't want this to ring like a ringing endorsement of the film so yeah. much as like a ringing endorsement of this film for its genre mm-hmm. so by comparison it is fantastic by comparison to things outside of its subgenre it is better than bad. I, mm. I was actually under the assumption that you liked it more than me because you gave it the mm. heart. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I uh, I do have positive feelings uh, for it, and, and it was um, an, an entertaining enough of a watch. Um, and I kind of like the ideas that I was I was getting away from it. You know, if you just you know kind of stop taking it so literally, it's just for me about. You know, two two girls who were such close childhood friends, maybe having a falling out, mm-hmm. um, one having a serious boyfriend, one being boy crazy, and that just kind of causing this schism between them. Um, that's a very real thing. Like, I think everyone, you know, has kind of had, I mean, obviously, this is very female centric, but the idea that, you know, um, you can uh, drift apart from a friend. Oh, for um, Adam Brody. Very relatable for all genders. Right. <laughs> yeah, um, there's definitely something to that. For me, what did not quite work was believing that they were ever really great friends to believe with. Like, I think it leans because too of much. those flashbacks. It does try it undercuts to the idea rely that on they those. were friends. Yeah, um, or it, I guess it made me think that Amanda was stupider than she mm. seems in the film. Mm. Like she seems smart, and then these flashbacks make it seem like she's foolish and in mm. denial but also i don't know there was a subtext of of bisexuality at minimum mm-hmm. between her and megan fox so and then it becomes literally the text yeah. when they make out <laughs> yes yeah but even then she stops herself and we don't know i i don't know i thought that there was a lot of things to read into why she stopped it yeah yeah for sure um for me it's like i just i kind of wanted to see you know, the aspects of that friendship that, you know, would suggest how just how well they would know each other, like having yes. been so close for so long, like that would have made this um, a bit more rich in stakes if it felt like this was such a meaningful friendship that was sort of being torn apart. And that's um, maybe where Diablo Cody just on a whole doesn't write that stuff. Mm-hmm. Not that I can think of. You know, she's very internal focused generally on a central character and then will build the surrounding world to investigate whatever it is she wants that character to have the ability to interact with. And there, there's very little world building that is not character centric in a Diablo Cody 
film, Mm -hmm. um, at least off the top of my head. So I do think that's just something you're going to get. I wouldn't lay it at Kusama's feet or the ineptness of the actors or anything. I would just say that, that the material is such that that was bound to happen. Yeah, yeah, I would agree. Um, I did have a good enough time watching it, though. Mm-hmm. Like, I just think, you know, it's it's pretty quickly moving. I think just scene to scene, it's entertaining just because of the, the quirkiness to some extent. The like, campiness? Yeah, there there's some, like, it's kind of has its own internal logic to these things like Megan Fox's character taking the football player into the woods and all the animals showing up to watch her take it I down. I loved that. Uh, yeah, yeah. That it's, was like it's reverse just Cinderella. It's just weird detail, you know, that just kind of There's enriches no light, the world. Yeah. Um, that's just fun. I, I mean, I wish there was just a little more kind of like to it for me to really kind of chew on, but it's fun. Um, yeah, I, I would also say the same for when uh, Amanda Seyfried is, is looking like a Disney princess running around trying to save the, the boy. Mm-hmm. from the girl um you know that that's that speaks to that role reversal that is just fun mm-hmm. however if it was repeated now it would just feel gimmicky mm-hmm. uh, there there's a weird level of sincerity that is what this is writing on for me to make it Definitely. positive like because yeah. it's sincere and once again like they're really stars to to me megan fox and amanda Seyfried. they are quiet movie stars um, mm-hmm. They don't have the accolades when we think about it, but when you think about like, you know, either one of the most rewatchable films of all time, Mean Girls, mm-hmm. when you think about like one of the most intense interrogations of faith and, and life now in Paul Schrader's first Reformed, mm-hmm. she's put together a really quiet career. And Megan Fox has put together, I mean, one of the most globally profitable lineups in per film that you could think of as far as an actress between Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles and Transformers. Yeah, yeah. Um, and, yeah, you know, her being sort of this sex symbol in Transformers, um, yeah, certainly brought in a ton of dough, yes. but it does feel like this is um, using it for for more interesting means, I guess, no doubt. Yes. And that's, yeah. yeah, that is to, to Cody's um, writing, I guess. Um. Any uh, any favorite aspects of it? Any favorite sequences, details, characters? <sighs> Adam Brody's character is probably my favorite character. Um, just he's good because he's so he he's just like the thing that defines the film. Like if I had to point at the axis of the film, the film cannot exist without him and his conviction in being the teenage dirtbag douchebag baby that he is and just with such conviction and it's the same as ready or not. He's the Mm. same as in ready or not where it's like, how are you giving this 110% every scene? It's great. He makes it. Yeah. Something about the high school scene and uh, you know, the, the emo kids, the jocks, um, uh, you know, sometimes that can just feel too cliche ridden. Sometimes it's sort of embracing the cliche of it. I think that all just kind of worked for me here. I, I, I thought most of these characters seemed like real high school kids to me, you yeah. know, totally wrapped up in their scenes. I really liked the kid who Megan Fox sort of lures to that like abandoned house. Yes. Um, I believe you know. his last name is Gray. Colin Gray. Is that right? The character. Yeah. That sounds right. Yeah. yeah. Um, 
in that scene where he's driving to her house, he's got, you know, his kind of like emo music playing mm-hmm. in the car and he's kind of half singing, but he's kind of like a little jittery with excitement, a little nervous, yep. but excited. Very relatable. Um, that, yeah, that just speaks like, yeah, that that's a high school boy, no mm-hmm. doubt. Um, that, that felt pretty spot on. Um, that had to probably have been one of my favorite uh, of these side characters, but um, it's peppered out uh, with some, some nice detail like that. It is. Yeah. Um, I don't know that I would point at any particular scene as great, though, which is interesting because Kusama has such a strong eye now. Like when I think about Destroyer, I can just get lost in the imagery um, of, you know, kicking Tatiana Maslany in the head in the mm-hmm. final chase scenes, throwing her in the trunk. I, I can think about Nicole Kidman sleeping in the car. I can think about her trying to stay awake and chugging coffee with her wrinkled face. I can mm-hmm. think about her undercover with uh, Sebastian and Stan. Like, those things just scream sparkling depth imagery, even if they're harsh images. Whereas this just... It's kind of overtly, like, digitized and glossy. There's yeah. something about it that makes me think that if I heard Sean Baker talk about it, he would just start ranting about the digital cinema cinematography ruining the mm. movie itself. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I don't know if that rings for you at all, but I, I didn't yeah. see as much as I expected. Yeah, I would agree. There isn't like a set piece that I would point to that I really loved, even like the climactic fight. I don't know that like I would In the hold pool? that scene up. Oh, that yeah. was very bad personally in my opinion yeah it's very like they clearly shot the entrance to the location and then shot at a different location like it was just so painstakingly obvious the way that that film was cut and that really got to me yeah um but it's just kind of the detail it's like her kind of working within the confines of the script like Mm -hmm. when we get this quick scene with the football player. I think he's just standing by himself on the football field. And I think he starts to cry, but we start from like the opposite side of the field and zoom like all the way across the field. Um, Just little touches like that are, are are really kind of constant. Um, And they, they never really sort of define like a whole scene. It's just kind of these details of moving the camera this way or that way. She's doing great directing without getting, that one great shot, I'd say. Yeah, maybe. yeah. Um, and, yeah, I mean, she just to follow the script, I don't know that there was, like, just a ton of room here um, to to really do something on par with, like, the shootout, yeah, in yeah. Destroyer, which was dope. Uh, so, completely with you on that. Yeah, it's... um. It's a movie. I'm glad we got to it. I'm glad I know more about Kusama's background. Yeah, this has a heck of a chart on Letterboxd. Like, the bars from half a star to five stars are pretty darn even. Really? You don't see that that often, um, that it's, like, a, a pretty spread out field no. of, of reactions. Um, Especially with the cult classic, you know? Mm-hmm. Cult classic, like, room, you either get five stars or one stars, you, you know? Yeah, which, yeah we're, we're the else. ones right in the middle, I guess. Yeah. Um, but slightly positive. Yeah. What do you say? On to the next one? On to the next one. You ready to do this in one take? One take. One cut of the dead.
So I still have not seen you log this one on Letterboxd, so I still don't even know if you're positive, negative, I mixed. I finished it today, as I explained earlier. I only had time to watch the first third, where the credits roll, and then I watched The Making of, The One Cut of the Dead, two-thirds mm-hmm. uh, length of the full film. Um, and I believe that once again, we are in lockstep. It is not until the end of the show that we will diverge greatly. By a whopping one star. There you go. Glad to know we're on the same page here. Yes. I thought this was great. It is delightful. I don't know that I would say it's great and mean it in a way that isn't meaning great joy. Mm. It is not great cinema. It is not Mm. great masterwork. It is a great good time. It is fun. It oozes ingenuity uh working together teamwork um a clear sense of of what the objective is at all times to do and it is wholly a tone of its own i'd almost put it in the genre of battle royale if you've ever oh, I've seen, never seen battle royale but um, very familiar with but it but there there's something that's that oozes camp but also sincerity about both of these that I do think I find more in South Korean and Japanese cinema than mm. most other places. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, I, I like it a lot. But when I say the word great, I mean fun mm. more than like everyone needs to watch this. This is a perfect uh, piece of art. You know what I mean? Yeah, I yeah I, I, I wouldn't throw out the word perfect maybe either. But uh, I yeah, maybe I'm even then a little higher on it than you. Like this is one that I, I would definitely uh encourage a lot of people to seek out um it 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 continued to take me by surprise thought it was very sweet very funny um it the 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 low budget charm of it i thought was very appealing it's kind of that diy kind of feel yeah um and even just as kind of a metaphor, you know, the the one take, the tagline, just keep rolling, that speaking to the idea of, um, you know, the idea that artists should just keep going when they run into problems. You know, yep. if you when you when you hit obstacles, when it's important to just creatively problem solve. Don't let it stop you. Just keep going. And like you can create great art within the confines that you might be working in or, you know, based on constraints. Um, and I think that really could have been um, heavy handed or too cute or too sentimental. I think it definitely oh, yeah. could have like saddled some of the family members who come mm-hmm. to work on this project together with some kind of um, sentimentality that, that would have like just been too sweet. Um, I think it, it really kind of threads the needle in being very sweet, but not too cute for me yes Um, i think it's because of the pace of play mm -hmm. they're just going so fast the whole time that they don't get to sit down and get mired in the gobbledygook of the emotions it's all just they don't have time (laughs) one cut drama Mm -hmm. you know it's uh like like what is more uh heart pounding whether or not the makeup artist is going to finish blooding the stump or whether the zombie is going to bite her neck, you know, like there, there is something extremely charming about this movie. Um, it, yeah, it, it is something that I would also say to seek out. I don't mean to speak about it like derogatorily or anything. It's just like there's a clear difference to me between like this and 
Midsomar or Parasite or The Witch. You know what I mean? Like, they're different genres of the same art. Mm-hmm. It doesn't mean that it's not as valuable as the other. It's just, it's it's different yeah. in a lot of ways. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's maybe just about the depth of feeling or something. Um, the feeling here is very positive and satisfying. Um, it's just kind of that extra layer that those kind of movies can kind of dig into. Yeah. Um, and like finding joy in weird spots, right? Like it's, it's that end shot that is, um, you know, supposed to frighten the viewer with the idea of this is how the summoning starts is from these bloody pentagrams. But it, it is instead the capturing of that shot that brings about the most joy in the film because mm-hmm. of the teamwork necessary to do it. And it's those little flourishes of ingenuity in the writing process that I think are really speak to, to something pleasurable. Yeah, yeah. I think the writing's really good. I think the acting's really good. Like, you get different types, you know, of characters working on this film. And there's the alcoholic, uh, like, grandfather. Um, Who there's, hits his head on the bottle cap? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> there's, the, there's the girl who's always concerned about her image and what her agent's going to say about it. Um, the, the guy who kind of wants everything his way. You know, those all could have just been a little obvious in mm-hmm. their types. Um, but I actually thought they were all pretty charming and then it was pretty satisfying to see them all, um, you know, materialized during the, the third chapter of it. Yeah. Um, I think that all worked quite well. Um, Paul? So funny. <laughs> Super funny. Uh, I, I continued to get a kick every time the director would come running out of somewhere. Action! Just, just great. Uh, I it's I thought it was pretty witty. I can't have you killing my actors. <laughs> it's pretty funny stuff. Um, tricky one to market. I certainly had no idea that this is what it was. Did you have any sense of? Well, I did slightly because um, we were trying to find it, and you were there when I showed you the beginning. Mm-hmm. So, like, I knew that it was like a movie about making a movie, but I didn't know. Any, I didn't know a thing. My friend told me about it. He's like this hundred percent certified fresh zombie movie. Uh, I just got a notification for it from Rotten Tomatoes. I was like, "Huh, I've never heard of that." And then it was 2017, and I was like, "All right, Michael, let's toss this on the show." And uh, yeah, it's special. Yeah, yeah. When the credits started to roll after the initial forty minute take. I, I was 50-50 on whether it was over or not. I had to, I literally had to double check. I was like, maybe that's just, that was longer than I thought. I guess it could be over. I was legitimately confused. So I was completely I was like, in it. So is the other half going to be the making of that? Yeah, yeah. And I didn't like, so I was right, but I was wrong in the way that I envisioned the making of. I didn't think it would be a movie in which the making of took place i thought it would be a documentary of the making of and instead it is a movie making of which is great yeah yeah um you know i think there are lines like one of the producers i think their producers saying something like it's it's just for tv like you know don't don't sweat it um you know the idea that this will be a great shot in my movie yeah it's just for tv that you can be pressured to do something, you know, economically or 
efficiently and still manage to, you know, create something artistically meaningful within that kind of environment of pressure um, that I think is, is really of value. Like I would like, I've never made a movie. I don't think I ever will, but if I were a filmmaker, like I think I would be pretty like inspired of it. Like I would, I would certainly point directors to it and be like, great example of how when problems show up, you just roll with it and you can make it work. Yeah. I I love to know how this project was envisioned and if it was planned like this the whole time. Cause I just, it is, yeah, it's kind of like, Ooh, I'm about to really compliment it. It's kind of like the handmaiden where Mm. like, how did you derive this plot scheme? Like it's a very clever plot scheme that you derived. How did you come to it? Was it, was it something you arrived halfway through? Did you envision it the whole time? You know, because both the Handmaiden and this, like, it's in, it's in the action of the film that sells it, not in the way that it's edited. Mm-hmm. Um, although editing works very well for the Handmaiden, it's it is the way that, that the actors are portraying their roles in that film, mm-hmm. just like this, that really sell the accomplishment of it. Yeah, I would completely agree. I think this director directed wrote and edited it so clearly a you know project of love yes taking out multiple jobs like many of the people in the movie yes it kind of reminds me of a movie from 2017 that i really responded to called ghost stories um it's it's very much like a self-made it has stars in it but it's kind of it's got its own little sections and you can tell that that it feels kind of that same way where it's a labor of love. It had yeah. a Martin Freeman in it um, mm, yeah, for yeah. a brief scene, but yeah. Yeah. Uh, favorite character, favorite scene, favorite details, anything come to mind? Favorite character would have to be the uh, the zombie with the nub arm. Yes, that's who I was going to say. Always so there, funny. Just, yeah. And... and I mean, the end when he's on the bottom of the pyramid and he has those contacts in and he's like breathing deeply to try to not fall. Yeah, great. Maybe, I don't know if anyone looked as terrified as him when he got puked on by the grandfather. He looked genuinely shocked. That was great. Uh, He was funny. He was super funny. Yeah. Yeah, they did use the, the table read stuff to kind of do what what you would normally see in the actual film itself yeah yeah. so that that was very clever definitely clever a very clever movie um i don't know that i have that much more on this guy i don't think i do either and i think that's okay this is streaming exclusively on shutter Mm -hmm. right now uh i think this is two thumbs up from both of us right yes it is yes seek it out enjoy it it'll be a a nice thing to have seen. 100%. On to more serious fare. Dying is cruelty against the unsuspecting. But death is not everything. It's more cruel not to be able to die. I wish I could partake of the love which is between you and Jonathan. Nothing in this world. Not even God can touch that. Nosferatu, the vampire. 
our second Herzog in just a couple weeks. I think it was maybe two or three weeks ago we did Heart of Glass. Mm -hmm. Sticking within the 70s, I believe. I think Heart of Glass is maybe early 70s. Nosferatu, like you said, 1979. Correct. You were quite high on this film, I understand. I am quite high on this film. This is... Yes, I enjoy Herzog. He speaks to me as a visual poet. And I enjoy his visual poetry and his how seriously he takes his own projects mm. um, and their own, as you would say, internal logic and mm. internal consistencies. Mm. Even though outside the film, it seems quite foolish that you would randomly cut to a close up of a vampire bat continuously throughout mm. the film and that that wouldn't be cheesy. But it's not. I agree. I would not have described anything in here as cheesy. Um, I'm definitely positive on this film. I liked it. Um, I didn't wholeheartedly love it. I like. I really wanted to. This has been on my list to see for a long time. Um, thinking that a more kind of poetic, atmospheric, thoughtful take on Nosferatu would be right up my alley. And just to a decent extent, it was. Um, I think there are just certain aesthetic things here that just kind of rub me the wrong way personally um yeah yeah um what are you gonna tell me you read labuza's thoughts on Werner herzog and then went into the movie and we're like yep you're right labuza he's just too imperialistic (laughs) oh is that the word he used (laughs) i mean labuza has quite a few problems with herzog Mm. um so it would depend on which review we were talking about but yes Mm. in mass labuza and herzog do not get along Gotcha. Yeah. I mean, generally speaking, I think I like the approach he's taking here, which to me, this is a much kind of sadder take on uh, the story of Dracula mm-hmm. um, versus like Coppola's. This is our second time doing yes. a Dracula movie, uh, much more psychedelic, trippy. Um, I do think this is tapping into the loneliness of the vampire in a, in a kind of direct way um is that the same kind of idea you you got from it any any sort of similar sense i totally agree but i think that it's so clear to me personally that this film had an overt effect on coppola's imagining of dracula Mm. like if we look at the the gray shores that he uses if we look at the ship choice if we look at um van helsing like just all the motifs are there. The coffin transference and the way that that's shot. Um, like, man, I just, I see Coppola directly riffing off of Herzog. And I think that's an immense compliment. I don't know that I agree on that one. No? I mean, I don't know that either one of them are that different from the Murnau one. I think those are just consistent tropes within the story. Yes, yes. Um, it's the specific, uh, to me, it's the way that the the cut to the ship Mm. in in both of them and the way that the sea is roiling and kind of the atmosphere that the fog creates of, on the beach and the the lamenting gal like i mm. just i don't i don't think that they're very different in the way that they're conceived um directing wise and i think mm. that it must i read it as a direct um mm. you know riff off of that yeah i might be wrong but. I would have put it more in line with the Murnau version um, as being um, 
uh, I don't know, the Murnau one's pretty, I think, rich in dread, but more in its sort of like, um, I don't know, it's just not like the phantasmagoria of the Coppola one for me. Yes. That one's like, he is so clearly a bad guy in that one. He, he is a villain. I think there's more pathos for him in this. Um, yeah, I mean, the tone is more phantasmagoria, but the, I, I don't, to me, the loneliness in Dracula, I picked up on loneliness in Dracula, and I feel like that loneliness kind of came from this iteration of the character. Mm. And I, I mean, Keanu and Bruno Gans, I, I see mm. very similar ways of, of playing that role and taking center stage in the film and then kind of disappearing mm. into a chair in the corner mm. um the lighting as well but once again the lighting in this is clearly a riff of the original yeah yeah which looks great i think it's a very very nice looking movie um same uh cinematographer i believe as heart of glass and i love the cinematography there i think it looks great here i think it often looks has the look of an oil painting to me mm-hmm. um you know, just those tall shadows you think of when you think of Nosferatu with the, the long fingers. Like, if you just don't have that in your Dracula movie, you got a problem. And he does it, and he does it well, and they look great. So I cannot complain about any of that. It's a good-looking movie. The uh, the choreography, particularly in this film, is stunning. Because I believe that the extended take where um Nosferatu chases Bruno Gantz to the other side of the room mm. and he and Bruno falls into the armchair mm-hmm. and then um Nosferatu sits in the opposite chair that you can't even see is there until he sits down in it and he his face is right at the only spot where the light is to cast that light on his face um and then later when he's dying in the sunlight and he just he hits that perfect spot where the sun is on his face so that we can see him as he writhes in agony. Like it's, it's a special piece of craftsmanship to me. Most definitely. Yeah. And I think, uh, that aesthetic only kind of further enhances that sense of loneliness and isolation for me. Like there are shots where you get Dracula's head, you know, that like translucently pale face mm-hmm. just in a pure black, background and it looks like it's just totally detached from his body like it's just floating yes. in that darkness um which just he, he does look very alone literally in these shots um and it's also kind of about like the the affluence in a way you know he has the big feast and he says he can't share it with them this you know the vaulted ceilings of that house i don't know why i just i that struck me more here than in some of the other um takes on this story just um, how some of those really play up how vulnerable Jonathan Harker is coming into Nosferatu's house, which you mm-hmm. definitely get here. But it's also like you're coming into a guy's house who just hasn't seen anybody in like God knows how long. Um, and like he just hasn't seen the sun. Like he needs to get out. Um, and that longing to just like be near people after having been on Mm -hmm. the mountain in this giant castle for so long i do think there's something uh that i got out of that but how about how about kinski's ability to act i do like kinski quite a bit special um and the way that he pulls off the prosthetic teeth just like you Mm -hmm. you don't doubt for a second that those are real in the 
in the disillusionment of the film itself. Like I, I was never removed. I was just always there. Um, some of those close-ups of just objects or even the f- far away time-lapse shot of the castle on the hill. Like there's, there's certain visual motifs that Herzog uses again and again and again. Um, and I think we see Malik use some of the similar um, cinematic languages that, that we see in Herzog. Um, maybe we even see James Gray use some of those, but they, they are, they speak directly to kind of nature's character um, or like the character of time in the film, which is not something that I think of very often when I watch any other film where, where he just lets a timepiece be a momentary character. And it is such a striking image to look at the timepiece be a momentary character that you can probably still remember now the corpse shuffling from one door to the other um, in just this this long-ish close-up take of a of a shadow and a spotlight on a on a cuckoo clock that is a corpse yeah yeah i yeah i was struck by some of the landscapes particularly like in the journey from uh the the village where harker's coming from to dracula's castle that long sort of journey um that did feel like heart of glass to me Mm -hmm. in, in how the landscape is captured um, and yeah, I could see something, you know, to the idea that, um, you know, he's like, he's been around as long as the land itself has, um, like he is just as much kind of a fact of it as the, uh, you know, castle is, as you just see it night after night after night in that time-lapse thing. I definitely think there's something to that. Um, but during that journey, I think is where like some of the aesthetic things that, I didn't care for quite so much kind of popped up and then continued to pop up, which to me is kind of just tone. Like I don't find that the score here really works with the content of the images. I thought that to like that, that journey I just expected to be more rich with dread and the score sounds almost more like hopeful to me. There's something mm-hmm. that uh, there's just some kind of a dissonance between the the feeling that the the sound evokes and what the images suggest to me. One's more hopeful, one's much more morbid, and I can't really reconcile it too. I don't know that if I just don't get it, um, or if it's just if it just didn't click for me. No sense of that. Uh well, l- let me give you my favorite quote of the year. People are more than just one thing, Michael. Um, I I would lean towards the reading that it's two things. He's there for capitalistic gains to try to succeed in his job so that he can provide the life that he wants for him. And I don't remember if they were married yet or if they were going to get married when he left or if I'm mixing with Dracula, which I think is what's happening with Keanu and Winona and, and yeah, Coppola. Yeah, uh, that's a good question. I don't remember if they were married or not. Um, yeah. And then, like, the journey... In the, in the dissonance, like, yeah, there's, to me, that, that vibes with, with what a vampire is. It, it's, it is a dissonance of nature. Like, he's wa- walking through something that's alive that has to die. He's going to something that is living dead. Um, so, while everything is, is fine in that part of the world that he's traveling through, and it's, and it's hopeful, and he doesn't know what he doesn't know yet, um, in the background of of the music is that dissonance um, that speaks to 
the woman's intuition that we get before he leaves, which is that you shouldn't go. This is a bad idea. But to him, it's a happy work trip that speaks to bountiful gains in his future. And um, to me, there's almost like a veiled criticism of capitalism in in the film as, as well, specifically in this part that we're talking about. So I it worked for me. I get why it wouldn't work for you, but I didn't expect... I try not to expect um, that I know the tone in pictures like this. Like in Jennifer's body, I'm much more accusatory of like, you failed to give me the tone that I expected, you know? Um, mm. Whereas in this, I think that I'm a lot more open to interpretation and trying to, to reason how that could make me feel. Because I feel like it is deeper. Yeah, I I did try. I did try and think to myself, well, maybe this is the hopefulness of Harker's perspective. Um, I just couldn't really find the syntax in that journey visually to suggest that this was um, really um, of his mindset. It felt pretty third person um, mm-hmm. to me in, 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 in how it shot. Um, so I, I might suggest that it could be the hope of nature itself. Um, like, like the natural world is something that I think Herzog uses as a character in his films consistently. Mm. And so maybe it's the hope of the natural world that this man will rid the decay or mm. this man's arrival will, will rid the decay of, of naturalism and mm. the nature of reality itself. Um, that's how I think i read it yeah it's one of those films that's like deeply philosophical in a sense where i don't really i don't know everything that i thought about it Mm. at some level yeah yeah it was it was kind of a feeling as i was watching it that i was maybe just not getting it um like there's that shot of the river and it's like a decent Mm. little take you know of the river um where it's yeah yeah yeah, uh, I I suppose I I I just didn't get as um I didn't get anything out of it that I that I thought it was maybe trying to to convey there, but um, Herzog yeah. I I will say has visual motifs. The more yeah you go with him, the more you might see what he's trying to say, and the more you might disagree with whether or not he's accomplishing that goal. But mm-hmm. I do think that maybe there is some overt point that he always has in his visual language or cinematic language where if you know it you you, because he's he's pretty well militaristic in his filmmaking he got that shot for for a reason Mm -hmm. and he'll tell you why he got that damn shot and Mm -hmm. he'll tell you while he's getting shot in the stomach and he'll finish telling you that before he reacts to the fact he's been shot in the stomach i don't know if you've heard that story i don't know if i've mentioned it on the Uh, podcast before but yeah, loosely familiar with it. Yeah, yeah that yeah. that is who yeah. Werner is. He's yeah. a he is a man of great ego and a man who's accomplished a great deal with that ego. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I remember after "If Beale Street Could Talk" came out, Nicholas Bretel, the the composer, um, in an interview, talked about his two approaches to music and how he wants the music to either reveal something latent in the image or, um leverage dissonance in some way to create kind of a third idea and it, with Beale Street it was definitely the former it was you know tapping into just you know the the deep kind of romance of it 
yes. versus uh, Vice, which he also scored around the same time, which was, you know, dissonance for the sake of satire. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's partly probably just expectations that with this story, I would have expected the former. Like, I want, I was fully kind of wanting this to, like, be more rich with dread, knowing this infamous deeply terrifying creature we're about to encounter and instead it opts for the latter and there's more of this sense of like optimistic wonder in it that um might have just been kind of jarring for me but that has partly to do with just knowing this story you know you come in with certain baggage you expect one or the other so i think that i also came in with the same baggage of this story but i didn't come in with the same expectation of desire mm. and that might be where we're de- other than the fact that i love herd song mm. so like i'm probably biased as fuck to begin with on this mm. one but it's i i liked that it it zigged where it would have ordinarily zagged mm. i liked that that you know it is a wondrous thing to encounter something that does not follow the laws of nature and the reversal of the man being, um, you know, absorbed and infatuated at some level by this creature rather than the woman, I thought was was a great pivot. You know, mm. you know, like there there's just stuff here that I I like storytelling wise, like just mm-hmm. the the nature of this is the plot point where the the man knows that that he has to kill the evil thing. And instead of doing what we think it's going to do in the noir, it does mm. the opposite thing where it's not a blonde, it's a brunette and she's not smoking, she's drinking or vaping. Mm-hmm. Or, you know, like there's vaping, just... Vaping, yes. Right? Like there's there's these <laughs> little things where it's where it would have ordinarily happened, something has to happen and he, he just does a little bit different there. And mm-hmm. then he'll insert those landscape shots, he'll insert the cutaways, he'll dress the sets sumptuously, he'll get the, the best locations that you we'll see kind of from that era, you know, Mm -hmm. maybe Tarkovsky and maybe Kubrick would be up there with Herzog for, you know, set locations and decorations at this point in cinema. Yeah. 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 I cannot argue with that about the look. I think it looks fantastic. Um, and yeah, I think it's been a while since we watched the Coppola one and a way long time since I saw the Murnau one, but I, you know, I guess there are points where I think he's kind of deviating from the story. Like the, the detail with the rats, I think was new. And the black plague. Yeah. yeah. I, I don't remember that being a part of Coppola's at all. I think that was pure Herzog. I believe so. Um, and yeah, once again, I, him uh, speaking to nature and the perversion of nature and that type yeah. of stuff. Uh, something about Nosferatu trying to join this, this quaint, community and then only chasing it away and his isolation following him i i i kind of liked that idea um like that does that town seems just deathly empty Mm -hmm. by the time he arrives it was already quiet and quaint um well i i do think that that might be more of the original text because in the geez uh gosh not Van Helsing, not Constantine, Castlevania. There is an mm. anime series called Castlevania. It's based on video games called Castlevania, which are mm. based around Dracula. Um, that is also a motif, is the Black Plague following 
vampirism. So oh, okay. Okay. I, I do believe that that is at least based in some part of the historical canon of yeah, not the just, vampires. He didn't just pull that out of a hat. Yeah. yeah, got it. Yeah. Um, there, there was uh, lots of uh, pretty unforgettable imagery just with the... Uh, the hordes of rats, you know, swarming those areas. That dream sequence is a dream sequence. No, 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 it's not a dream sequence where they're having, um, like, a meal in the town square. Yes. Right? And now, the the movie feels like a dream, so it's just weird to now yes. even think. But I think that actually happened, right? They were, they had I, been... I think so. But yeah. that's that's the thing about Herzog <laughs> is, is reality, it, he lets it become maddening. Mm. The, the things that that these people are doing and he he makes you kind of sit in it but also not know if it's real because it's so asinine what they're doing mm. and once again that speaks to herzog's view about like you know he knows what's best let him show you idiots mm. <laughs> yeah yeah um yeah i yeah i couldn't decide if it was maybe sort of criticizing or poking fun at kind of how quickly they they conclude it's the plague or how 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 fast the town kind of flees um you know something about that ending where uh the gentleman walks into you know jonathan and lucy's house and says you know go get the police he says the police are gone uh go get the the judge or whatever and i'm like judge is gone too you're a city employee make the arrest yourself yeah yeah um i don't know what to make of that but um I definitely felt something there about um, uh, law and order. Yeah, yeah, sort of dissolving. Yes. Um, uh, In the face, maybe of ha- too perversion. hastily. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, I mean, plague's pretty scary, but yeah. it still seems like that that might have been the idea. For sure. What uh? What's your favorite scene or image? Probably those shots in nosferat or dracula's house where his head is just kind of floating in those dark shots those are probably the ones that are just most kind of seared in my memory uh what about you forgive me for not knowing her name but the the love interest and ultimately the hero of the film um when she is on the beach underneath the Mm. cloudy sky and Mm. just long beach shot framed like i want to print that and put it on a wall that is one of the most beautiful scenes i've witnessed this year yeah yeah we talked yeah about how dark it is i feel like she is just that symbol of like she has this like angelic white glow off her like from that just dress that but she... is also half morticia adams definitely at the same time very pale she looks yes. as pale as dracula sometimes yes yeah. but it's her her christian cross that saves mm-hmm. her yeah. and, and the ultimate undoing of nosferatu is the the good woman herself uh, uh, what is it a, a good woman's love or the distraction of a of a good woman mm-hmm. it, it will lure him into sunlight and yeah. he will be smote yeah with the halloween episode is it scary it's scary how good it is. Nice. Ah. Eh. Ooh, spooky, spooky. I would say there's at least some pretty creepy, indelible imagery. At the very least, those are not the first images I'm going to want to conjure when I turn the lights out. 
Or or what if you turn the lights off and you just get glimpses of a close-up of a vampire bat in the night winging itself? Also not what I want to think about just before bed. So, you can find scarier, but maybe not the one you turn to if you're dying to get spooked. But if you, you want to catch up think, on Herzog. There you go. It's great. Thus concludes another year's Halloween episode. Spooktacular number two. Concluded. Happy Halloween. And that's another one in the can. Run! Go! Get to the chopper! We have to go. I'm coming with you. That was brilliant. You're the best and we love you! Sounded so disappointed there. Oh, you sure I can. It's done. <laughs> <laughs>